Hey, fellow Mathers, before we get into this episode, we want to share with you how you can get access to free content, professional learning that will keep your students engaged and doing the math that matters. Get ready to go to this link, mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. That's right. Registration is open for the free Math is Figure Outable challenge that's starting May 15th and runs to the 17th at 7 p.m. Central. We're going to have three nights jam-packed with learning and routines that you can take straight to your classroom. In these challenges, we have a great time. We do some math, talk about classroom experiences, give away super cool bonuses and prizes. You won't just walk away with routines that are naturally engaging and encourage your students to think mathematically. You'll also have a chance to win over 6 k worth in prizes, including a few virtual PD sessions for your school. I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host, Kim, and special guest, Jenna Labe. You can register at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Now on to the show. Hey, fellow mathematicians. Welcome to the podcast where math is figureoutable. I'm Pam. And I'm Kim. And we make the case that mathematizing is not about mimicking steps or memorizing facts, but it's about thinking and reasoning, about creating and using mental relationships. We take the strong stance that not only are algorithms not particularly helpful in teaching, but that mimicking algorithms actually keep students from being the mathematicians they can be. We answer the question, if not algorithms and step-by-step procedures, then what? So we're knee-deep into our series on addition facts, and we are finally ready to tackle our favorite and what we think is the most important relationship that everyone needs to know. And that is building partners of 10, right? Yes, very, very important. We say this often, right? That the tens are super important and that we love the tens, but why tens? Why is that so important? I mean, you say that we, we do say that often now, but early in my career in building my own numeracy as a high school math teacher, um, I didn't know. Yeah. And now it's amazing to me. It affects so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's one way, Kim? What are some things you're thinking about? So if you know about tens, then you know how it influences get to a friendly number. Because if you're at 43, then you know you're seven away from 50, which leads to give and take right? The most important or the most sophisticated addition strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And so for example, if I'm adding something like 43 mm-hmm. plus whatever, then I can think about, well, I know 43 plus seven gets me to that yep. 50 and then I can sort of tack on what's left over and yep. it's either get a friendly number or, or give and take. Yeah. So how far away you are from that next nice number is really, really important. Mm-hmm. That leads to understanding in rounding. Mm-hmm. So we can literally use this understanding of how far away I am from the 10 to round numbers. It leads to success in subtraction across zeros. Mm. Now, if you're an upper grades teacher, I I didn't know what that meant as a high school teacher. I was like, what, what even is that? So Mm. that has everything to do with like 1000 minus something. Well, if Mm -hmm. I know my partner of 10, then that can help me figure out the partner of a hundred, which can help me figure out the partner of a thousand. And all of a sudden I'm not doing all of that, cross out the zero and carry the one. And then that, oh, now it's a nine and all that crazy oh <laughs> stuff that happens when, when you're trying to use the uh, subtraction algorithm, when you have a bunch of zeros, no, no, yeah. you just sort of think about how far you are to that next nice number yep. and bam, subtraction across zeros. Um, in fact, it's, it affects subtraction in general. We can really use this idea of how far away we are to the next nice number 
as we think about using the difference or distance meaning of subtraction, the interpretation of subtraction, not just the removal meaning of subtraction. So as I'm subtracting to a friendly number, I'm thinking about partners of 10. Also, because it impacts subtraction so much, it's going to impact strategies that we use when we are doing multiplication or division. Yep. I mean, I can even give you just a simple example of if I'm doing something like, how am I figuring out seven eights? Well, if I know that eight eights is 64, but I only need seven eights, then I, I, I'm thinking about, well, then I'm going to get rid of that four and I'm at 60. Now I got to get rid of four from 60. Mm. Like, am I writing down 60 minus four and crossing out this? No, 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 no. I'm thinking about the partner of 10. If right. I know the partner of 10 uh, with four, four plus what is 10 is six. Well, then bam, I'm at 56. Yeah. As yeah. soon as I'm thinking about 60 minus four, I just use the partner of 10 to do that subtraction. And I could do that with bigger numbers and more complicated numbers. It hugely impacts the way I'm thinking about multiplication and maybe even especially division. As we're trying to think and reason using division, often I'm going to sort of multiply up to see, well, how many of these fit in there? Well, I've got so many. In fact, okay, now I'm wanting it here. Kim, help me out with an example. I wasn't going to give okay. an example here, but I'm dying to. Right, give, me give, me a, give me a division problem. Like a, like a 63 divided by nine? Uh, sure. So okay. if I'm thinking about 63 divided by nine, I might say to myself, well, I know I'm asking myself how many nines are in 63. I might say, well, I know that there are six nines in 54. Well, how far away am I? If I know mm. that fact, how far away am I? Oh, I'm only nine away. So it's that idea of thinking about subtraction. And if I've got partners of 10, then I can think about that subtraction easier. Oh, okay, then I've just got I need one more yeah. one more nine to get seven nines in 63. Yeah. I don't know if that was the best example, but yeah, this idea of being able to be fluent in subtraction, I need to have these partners of 10 to help me. Yeah. That's going to help in multiplication and division. Yeah. And um, you might be thinking, I mean, Pam, you might be dropping off the podcast right now because you're like, okay, but you know, like I teach eighth grade, but remember Kayla in eighth grade? Mm-hmm. Remember Kayla in eighth grade was really struggling or not struggling, but she was counting by ones. We need kids to know their partners of 10. Mm-hmm. So that they aren't mm-hmm. counting by ones when we need them thinking in bigger jumps of numbers, bigger chunks of numbers. Yeah. It's more sophisticated. Yeah. So, we go, we hey go with us. to lots of places, right? And hear from a lot of teachers who say, you know, we, we share this with them. And, and a lot of times there's conversation around, yeah, my kids, that's not something they're automatic with. So this is not a K-1-2 uh, situation only. This is definitely for older kids who've never been been um, exposed to the importance of partners of 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, thing. Yeah. so we talked about this Apple rich task a couple episodes ago. I think it was the first or second of the series about just bringing understanding to ways to make 10. So I, I definitely feel like there's some, some great places to start. I'm not suggesting that you're going to do that with your eighth graders, right? But well, so so maybe let me just since it's been a couple episodes. So if okay. you give young learners, hey, I've got ten apples, I've got some green, some red. How many green apples? How many red apples? And we, I specifically used the total of ten mm-hmm. for this very reason because ten is so important that we're talking about in today's episode. But but back there, I could have used, oh, hey, we have a total of six apples, and the kids just could have been messing with different combinations of six. Um, and, and we want teachers of younger grades to use different totals, but mm-hmm. also really use the total of 10 
a lot. Yeah. Like often, often use the total of 10 because it's so, so important. Sorry for interrupting. That's okay. So once you've given kids an experience with finding the partners of 10, then it's time to make some, that, that good repetition that we've been talking about with some games. And so we want to share a couple of our favorite games. Um, the, the first one is collect 10. So that looks like uh, numeral cards that have just the digits up there. Do they have the 10s? Yeah, they would have 10. Yep. So did zero through 10 on the cards and you lay the cards out in an array. It could be like a five by five array or a six by six array. You've got partners who are going to play and they take turns and their entire game is collecting a partner of 10. So one student might say, I found a three and a seven and three and seven make 10. I put my cards together. I set it aside. Then it's my other partner's turn. I'm going to find another pair of 10. So grab a five, grab a five, put those together, set it aside. They go back and forth until the entire game board is empty. You still have a, a deck of cards off to the side that you could refill in if you wanted to, to make the game a little bit longer, but that is collect 10, a, a super popular game. Yeah. Let me just talk about, a. Uh, what if you have students who don't know their partners of 10 yet? I, I've, and I've literally played this with kids who don't quite mm-hmm. have them automatized mm-hmm. yet. Uh, a student can pick up a seven and then they can pick up a four and uh-huh. they can add them together and go, nope, that didn't yep. work. Yep. And then you can decide if you want to lose a turn or whatever. Wait, we don't usually do that. We just like, okay, well then what will work? And then, yep. you know, kind of t- until they find the partner of 10 and then, then that's their their partner. So it's, you can also do it even if you don't have the facts automatized. Well, and I'm glad yet. you mentioned that because once you have partners of kids who do have them automatized, then that probably isn't the best game for them anymore, right? If, yeah, you, nice. if you already have all your partners down, then you're just going through the motions of a game. That's not meeting you where you are. However, you then might do turnover 10, which is the concentration version where you have that same, I would do a smaller array at this point, it's more like memory. So maybe a four by four array or five by five array cards go face down The they turn the first card over. You get a four. At that point, you have to think to yourself, mm, what would I need to get 10? So mm-hmm. four plus what equals 10? They flip over a, a card that's upside down. They say, oh, it's like seven mm, too much. At that point, I would say how much too much? What would you be looking for? Nice. They flip both cards back over and the game continues to be played. Yep. Yep. And now you just have that extra little concentration um, nudge and that visualizing of what the partner is, um, Mm -hmm. is definitely a step up. There's, there's Mm -hmm. the memory part of it. That's like, where is it? That, that maybe is the less important part, but there's the sort of visualizing and like, like you said, well, what, what do you need? If you, Mm -hmm. if you, if you popped over a six, what is that partner of 10? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally cool. Probably my favorite game because most kids have experienced go fish Mm-hmm. So tens go fish would be a, a version that we'd play instead of playing, you know, playing in a group instead of looking for, Hey, do you have a four and you want the match four plus four at this point, you're holding a deck of cards, a group of cards in your hand. And let's say you have a, a four, you're going to ask for its partner. So you have to, to ten. consider to 10. So you have to consider, I have a four. What do I need to ask for? Oh, I need to ask for a six. I ask somebody, do you have a six? They hand it to me. I say, I have four plus six is 10. And I set those cards down. Now it's my turn. And then I'm looking at a nine. Mm -hmm. And so I say to you, do you have a one? Mm -hmm. And you say, nope, go fish. Oh, man. (laughs) Rude. And so then I go fish. I pull a a card from the deck and we go on. 
Um, so to differentiate this game, uh, let's say you have students who don't know their partners of 10 yet, like at all, like like really young, or I should say maybe really less experienced, yeah. then um, you might have that student actually do the matching game first. Mm-hmm. You might, uh, if I have a, a, help me, a three, I might say, do you have a three? And then if you do, I, I have a match. And if you don't, then I go fish. Yeah. If you have students that are just on the cusp, like they're, 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 they've done work with partners of 10 and they just need more experience to really get them automatized, this is a brilliant game mm-hmm. because it's kind of fun and you have to, you, you, you get some time to sort of think about it. There's not a speed element involved, um, it, but you get a lot of repetition and it's kind of self-correcting because if I say uh, I have a four, do you have a six? And then your partner's going to go, hey. Or, or sorry, I should have goofed. I have a four, do you have a seven? Your partner's going to go, hey, it's not a seven, it's a six. And then you guys can sort of work it out and, and, and come to an agreement. So there's lots of ways that um, it's a really nice game for kids that are just needing that more experience, more practice. Would yeah, you agree I've with that? actually played Tinsco Fish with some older kids um, and it feels less immature. So like you're dumbing it down for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. other there's other 10s activities that they know, oh, we're working on the 10s. This one feels a little less um babyish, if you will. Yeah, so kids are more willing to play. Mm-hmm. Um and so then you get good practice in yep. as kids. Yep. So so y'all, in this whole series, as we're talking about automatizing single-digit facts, we're not suggesting that once you've mentioned a relationship that, okay, now we're done and we can just right. move on and do other things and kids magically own them. No, no, they need experience. It's just the kind of experience that we want kids to have is more like these games that we're talking about and a whole lot less speed, time, uh, pressure kinds of things. When, when we give kids speed, timed, pressure kinds of things, then we know now that, that, that in many kids that can turn off their brain. They get flooded with adrenaline and they can't think. And so what we're really testing is more their, their sort of metal under pressure. And, and that's not math. That's not mathematizing. We want to know, we want to help them develop relationships, literal connections in their brain. That's mathematizing. If you're interested in creating a kid that can take a test under time pressure, then at least admit that's what you're doing and go do it with some other subject. Don't do it with math because you're ruining math. You're making it equivalent to this idea that if you're good at math, then thou shalt be fast. And we just vehemently and fundamentally disagree with that proposition. Uh, You can absolutely think deeply and and carefully and purposefully about something. And that to us is more valuable than a quick answer. Absolutely. Um, So if you've ever heard Pam speak uh, pretty much at all, you probably have heard her (laughs) mention a routine that we absolutely love called I Have You Need. It's a great routine for working with combinations of 10, which leads to combinations of 100, combinations of 1,000 that we can do for older kids. Um, Pam, you want to speak to I have you need. And yeah. And so Kim that. actually made it up. So she's, she's, uh, I'm going to give her lots of credit for I have you need. It's not, I have who has, which is a different <laughs> sort of yes, instructional, different it's a different routine, but I have you need, you, you specify the total. You say, okay, today we're working with a total of 10. And since we're talking about total of 10 today, we're going to kind of focus on that one. Total of 10. Uh, if I have eight, what do you need to make 10? 
And I can do this really early when students are learning to count. I can hold up eight fingers and sort of flash those eight fingers and say, how many? And when the kid says eight, then I can say, well, okay, this is eight. How many do you need to make 10? I think I literally count the two fingers that are down. If you can see mm -hmm. me, I'm holding up eight fingers and two fingers are down. And my goal at that point isn't to have them automatize the partners of 10. My goal at that point is for them to learn to count, but I'm doing it with my fingers so that they start to get um, sort of that finger understanding and they start to really develop the sense of 10-ness. And we're dealing with sort of partners of 10 as we learn to count. So it's a brilliant, uh, I, get, I get lots of nice outcomes. But after students are counting and, and really we're trying to automatize the fact, then facts, then I can really just say, okay, partners of 10, here we go. Ready? If I have nine, what do you need? Kim, go ahead. Just one real quick. If I have seven, what do you need? Three. You need three to make 10. If I have eight, you need two. If I have six, you need four. And now you might have noticed as I played that I just did numbers close to 10 first. We would recommend that as you play with students, do numbers close to 10, because if they are counting up to find the, the missing number, then that's going to be easier for them to do. And I usually start with eight. If I have eight, what do you need? And kids can go nine, 10. Don't start with nine. That's too easy. Don't start with six. That's too hard. Like start with eight, maybe seven, like know your content, know your kids, know your kid well enough. I like to start with eight usually. Then once kids kind of get the hang of the game and everything, then I, I, again, I said, if I have eight, you need two. Then I might say, well, if I have two, you need eight. And then, so often kids will go, oh, crud. Because <laughs> then mm -hmm. they have to like count up from the two because it's right. like so much farther away. But then I might notice. I might notice and go, oh, well, what I said, that's interesting. When I said eight, you said two. When I said two, you said eight. Huh? And then, and then I might just go on and do another one. Seven, three, three, seven. Oh. That's interesting. And just notice. And I'm going to notice for a while before I make even a bigger deal of it. And then sort of expect kids to stop counting up from three and start just using, oh, well, I knew seven and three. So then I'm going to know three's partner mm -hmm. is seven. But, you know, we're going to talk about it. We're going to make that sort of a thing. We're going to play some more. We're going to talk about it some more, make it, uh, oh, if I know the partner, then I also know this one. Kind of like your your number rack flipping that we've been talking about in the past yeah. couple episodes, Kim, that if I know seven plus three, then I also know three plus seven, that, that right. use of the community property. So right. we really like I Have You Need. It's a fabulous way to promote kids really thinking about partners of 10. And y'all, you might be thinking, okay, Pam, but I'm a teacher of older students yeah. who don't know their partners of 10. Right. Really? Really? You want me to play I Have You Need Partner yes. of 10? Yeah. Actually, maybe not. So here are a couple things that you can think about. One, you can help your student. You're, you can, yeah, sorry. You can help your students think about partners of 10 by doing a total 100, but do the decades. So you can say, well, if I'm trying to get to 100, if I have 70, what do you need? Well, it's like seven tens. How many tens do you need? And you're kind of working on the partners of 10, ostensibly working on the decades. Now you kind of have to know your kids to know if that's going to work, but that's a thing. Now it's kind of bigger numbers. Does it feel like I'm babying it or dumbing yep. it down? Well, and I'll tell you, Pam, that when I yeah. um, was teaching third, third grade, I, I absolutely played I Have You Need with partners of 10, but it was early, right? It was early, 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 not at the end of the year. And, you know, it, it makes me think of some of my partner teachers who would say, um, you know, one in particular, and I had this conversation about, it's like middle of the year, my kids don't know their partners of 10. And, and I remember saying, if they came to you not knowing the partners of 10, 
you cannot blame the people. Well, that's a bummer, right? If they come to you, right? If if they come to you, it's, it's December. And so what have you been doing about it? And so I start the year with a real quick, like, this is a check kind of thing, not a gotcha, but just like, Hey, we're going to do this routine and notice who still needs to work on that combination of 10 and who I can move on with, um, decades or partners of, um, a hundred. Yeah. So y'all, if you, if you say to yourself right now, Oh, my students don't know their partners attend. Okay. Then, then let's build them. Like, let's do that. Let's develop those partners of 10 right now. Like as soon as you realize that that's a thing, let's do it right now. So kids can begin to use it. Um, one way, another way that I would have, have you consider, uh, teachers of older students is to use problem strings that are get to a friendly number. So I might do a problem string that's something like 47 plus three. And and then I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I might say, okay, 47 plus three, especially if I'm doing this. I mean, I think I could do this, this problem string in high school. Like, in fact, I've done it with adults before where, all right, what's 47 plus three? And they say 50. And then I just say, oh, nobody needed to draw anything for that, but I'm going to go ahead and do that. And I'll put 47 plus three, that's 50. Okay. And then the next problem is what's 47 plus 25. And mm-hmm. then I'll say, I wonder if you could use the problem before to help you. I don't know. Maybe not. Go ahead. Solve it any way you want. But then I'm for sure to go find somebody who used the 47 plus three to then think, well, that's 50. So then what's left over? Well, I was supposed to add 25. So what's over is 22. So now I'm thinking about 50 plus 22. And I'm for sure going to pull out that thinking. Notice that in that problem string, I'm dealing with seven plus three right? Like 47 plus three, I'm nudging that partner of 10. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just exposing students to how important it is to think about getting to that friendly 10. Oh, I need to know that partner of 10 and then adding what's left over. It's a brilliant way to sort of develop these partners of 10 in older students without dumbing it down, making them feel like you're like, like you said, it's kind of like, I don't want it to be a gotcha. I can't believe you don't know these. No, 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 no. Let's just do the work. Let's expose, let's experience, let's do it. Let's get that, that brilliant kind of practice in to develop those relationships in your students. All right, y'all, if you're interested to know more about these tens games or I have you need, if you want the tens games, you can go to a bit.ly link bit.ly slash partners of 10 games. Oh, so I said that wrong. Bit.ly slash partner. Hmm. I can do it. Partners of tens games. Partners of Tens Games. We will definitely put the link in the show notes. That's the best place to get it. <laughs> but also, if you want uh, more information about I Have You Need, we have a super cool blog that also has a free download on it at mathisforgettable.com slash you need. Like the, the word you, Y-O-U, the word you need. mathisforgettable.com slash you need. You can get uh, uh, information, a, a blog, there's a video and a free download all about I Have You Need. And if you've been loving this series, you will definitely want to check out the Building Edition for Young Learners workshops that are currently open for registration. And if you're itching to hear more about multiplication facts, then the Building Powerful Multiplication Workshop is for you. In both of those workshops, we go into far more detail and a lot more um, explanation and how to in your classes about building single digit addition facts and single digit multiplication facts. So check those out. Registration is open for my workshops through February 4th. Uh, so head on over to mathisforgettable.com slash workshops is where you can find out all the information about the workshops that I'm currently offering. 
If you're listening to this podcast at a different time, then you can join the wait list at mathisfigureoutable.com slash workshop. Same, same uh, URL to either join the wait list if it's not during registration time. If it is during registration time, check it out. You can register for the workshop at that point. So if you want to learn more mathematics and refine your math teaching so that you and students are mathematizing more and more, then join the Math is Figureoutable movement and help us spread the word that math is figureoutable. Thank you for listening and making math more figureoutable. To learn even more, make sure you register for our free challenge at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Central. Math teaching, math teaching, go register now. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figure outable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.